Welcome. You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. Welcome. We're here today with Rachel Rubel, ODFAAO. Dr. Rubel practices in Charlotte and Belmont, North Carolina. She's the vice president of the North Carolina Optometric Society. And she is the very recent winner of the uh, Thea Award for Young ODs. Dr. Rubel, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Great. I wanted to talk about your perspectives as a young OD and the um, perhaps a little bit unconventional way that you've gotten where you are. You want to tell us about that? Sure, I'd love to. So I um, went to optometry school at the Michigan College of Optometry and graduated from there in 2009. Uh, Following that, I completed a residency at the Salisbury VA Hospital in North Carolina. And during residency, I knew I wanted to be in private practice and be an owner. And so I set out um, to achieve those goals. I found a wonderful private practice in Gastonia, North Carolina, that I joined and became a partner uh, within one to two years there. And it was just an incredible experience, kind of a whirlwind, actually. Um, Not really sure, you know, as a OD, you know, they teach you how to be a doctor, but nothing about the business side, really digging deep into the trenches of that. So I learned a lot that first uh, two years. Um, Over the course of the last several years, I have uh, been an associate, been a partner in the practice, uh, became an employee of a practice after our practice uh, was sold. And from there I left and now I'm the co-owner of two practices. One is a practice with my husband, who's also an OD. And another with a good friend of ours, Dr. Ryan Court, um, we are an owner of a practice in Charlotte. Oh, that's interesting. So there's so many husband and wife uh, optometry practices. Uh, let's divert a little bit there. Is it a divide and conquer kind of a situation for, for you? I mean, do you have your strengths and he has his uh, yes and no. We've actually never practiced together up until this past year, and uh, we've been together since the first day of optometry school. Um, both of us have found that we love the business side of things. We're both entrepreneurial. Um, we have actually separate businesses outside of optometry uh, with investment companies, and my husband actually likes to renovate homes. So he does a lot of that on the side where I'm more in clinic at our private practice. Um, He runs the practice here that we own. And then in Charlotte, I run that practice on the business side. So we found that kind of that matchup works for us. Um, So is that a friendly competition? Which practice is doing better? (laughs) No, we, uh, we like to see... You know, each practice succeed in their own way. Um, Each practice is different in its own regard. And we just like to, at the end of the day, make sure we're taking care of patients. That's great. And can you keep uh, shop talk out of the house? We can, actually. We have two little girls that are two and three years old. And our life is consumed with 
them uh, coming out of work. There's no work at home. We actually turn off our cell phones from 6 to 7 p.m. to do dinner and play with them. And we try to not take work home. Well, that's a certainly a great diversion to, <laughs> to come home. <laughs> that's wonderful. So you you mentioned that you have other business interests outside of optometry. What, what else do you do? Um, so I... Brad and I own an investment company where we um, find a lot of fun in purchasing maybe older homes or rundown homes and then renovating them. Um, we did this to our own home and, you know, most people don't like renovations and the time and effort. We found it so fun. We loved going and picking everything out. Um, and actually Brad, for our private practice, he bought a building and renovated the whole thing himself. Um, he was the general contractor on it. And so we enjoy kind of getting into the uh, corporate uh, world with rental properties. Um, I also consult on the side for multiple companies and I'm consulting from with myself now. Um, I'm helping a lot of young ODs, whether it's negotiate on their contracts for their first contract out of school or helping with buy-ins or buy-out of practices, because I found that that's something we're not really taught. We don't know what is a good contract, what do we need to look out for, and I've been through a lot of that, and now I want to kind of spin that back around and help other ODs do that. I've often read and and women in optometry has even held a a session on negotiating men and women negotiate differently do you see that in the 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 consulting work you do i absolutely do um it's tough because you don't want to upset anyone in the negotiation when you're when you're working with someone else and trying to find those best compromises but i really try to talk to ODs about, it's not us arguing with one another, it's finding what's the best compromise for them and us. So it's a win-win situation for all and not being afraid to ask for it too. I feel that's a big thing that I do see. Mm -hmm. And when you say that, you mean that women are, the conventional wisdom is, seems to be that women tend not to come back and ask for more. Necessarily. I have found that, yes. And that is something that maybe is more of a fear and just want to go with the status quo. But really just as female ODs, I think we need to set ourselves apart. Because as we see, there's more and more female ODs practicing than there are males. And we're here to take over the world. <laughs> <laughs> Get ready. Yes. <laughs> So how does somebody step outside the comfort zone? Because I think that's a big part of it, um, you know, to to say, well, great, thank you, but what else can you do for me? It's a good question. I think a big thing I talk to ODs about is understanding their own personal strengths. I have them even write it down, you know, what do you feel you can bring to the practice? What value do you have? What strengths do you have? And then we work upon that to feel how does that fit with a certain practice. And if a practice finds value in that, you know, they're willing to come to the table and work together to find that best deal. How did you come around to doing this for yourself? 
you you mentioned you've been an employee, you've gotten a partnership. These are all things you negotiate. Um, were you already strong in this or did you kind of exercise that muscle? That When I was in residency, I had a few contracts that were offered and, you know, I looked at them and I wasn't really sure, is this good? Is this not? And I had a great mentor at the VA that took a red pen and kind of red penned a whole contract and it scared me going, oh, well, I can't go back and ask for all of this. That's crazy. They're going to think I'm crazy and they're not going to even extend me that contract. And from there, we talked about, and I, I actually read a lot on how to negotiate in finding comparisons from other, other practices and other industries as well. And from there, I was able to get a great contract, my first job out that I was thrilled with. Um, and then it became the partnership side, you know, buying into a practice. And there's lots of evaluations with formulas out there, and it's just presenting the facts Uh of what's going on in not only our industry, but other industries to show what's a, what's fair out there. And I think when both sides want to be fair and equal, that it actually works out in the end. Mm-hmm. What happened when you, did, did you ever present that red penned contract back? I did. <laughs> I remember doing that. I was so scared. Um, <laughs> it worked out really well. Uh, you know, I didn't get everything I asked for, which I didn't expect to. I had to go in with the expectations. Maybe if I get one thing or maybe if they don't take the contract away, that was a win. But we ended Mm -hmm. up negotiating on over half of the items that were redlined. And to me, that was, you know, I was ecstatic coming out. Um, And I think the, the owner was as well because, you know, I was able to present the things and showed I had this interest. I wanted to be there. I think, too, that it's so important, uh, and you mentioned younger ODs, data seems to indicate that there is a pay gap um, in optometry as well as in many other professions. And one of the sort of ongoing challenges is that if women start out in lower-paying jobs or accept lower-paying contracts, it's going to be really hard to I would catch agree up. with that because um, you, when you're looking at pay increases and you start out at one, any increase you're going to be happy with. So it kind of becomes the status quo of where you start and where you want to be. I have seen doctors that have negotiated. I've seen female ODs actually start out higher than male ODs just recently in, in our area um, with negotiations on their contracts. And I think that's just phenomenal. So it can happen. It's just talking with the employer and getting to that right point. So what are the top, you know, one, two, three things that a doctor should do before going into that uh, negotiation phase? You've, You've done the interview. You love the practice. You love everything about it. Now what? I think one thing is research. Make sure you research the area and see how many open positions are there in the area for ODs. Um, Are there any salaries listed? Sometimes those salaries can be listed at different practices to see are you in comparison with your area because every area can be different. Um, Again, assess your strengths. What can you add value to the practice that they may not have? What's another revenue source that that practice could have by you joining? 
make sure you're, you know where you need to be to survive financially as well. You don't want to just take the first thing that's offered and go, oh, that's great. You know, coming out of school, I've got all this debt. I need that first job. Is it the practice you could see yourself five to 10 years down the road? I think that's important too, because then you can really kind of start to build your relationship with the practice, with the patients and with the community. Are you going to learn something right. for that practice? Even if you're there a couple of years, what do you think you could take away? Are you going to enhance your skills? Uh, is there advanced procedures or techniques at that practice you could learn and become more proficient in? Um, are you able to learn more on the business side? Is the If you're interested, is the employer open to you learning that and um, looking at insurances? Because that's always a big feat as well. Just trying to see what your goals are, maybe thinking long-term, not necessarily the area, but what can you learn and enhance on your skills? Right. So, Dr. Rubel, you are now the vice president of the North Carolina Optometric Society. What made you decide to, uh, you know, jump in and go through the leadership steps? Yeah, it's not something I was planning on. After residency, I went to a local district meeting and just started talking to a lot of optometrists and um, and what our goal was for the future and for the state, you know, I'm in North Carolina, we've always had more advanced scope here and in eye care for, uh, our patients. And one doctor said, you know, we want to look and we want to do more in this state. Are you interested in serving as like a treasure for the local district? And I thought to myself, well, that can't be too hard. Sure. Well, that's where it all started. <laughs> and Yes. Famous last words. That was in 2010 and now we're in 2018. And I have kind of moved my way up throughout the years and learning and developing what um, we can do as optometrists for the state. It's not just about practicing in order to continue practicing the way we do or enhance what we can do. We need to be a part of the state. And that is the relationships I've built, not only with optometrists throughout the state, but with legislators. I've been to multiple legislators' homes now. I never thought that I would ever do that. But they're just normal human people that, you know, want to go out and have a cup of coffee or they want to just talk to you about your profession and your personal life. And I think those relationships are very key in helping with advocacy, advocacy in our state. Um, we have a bill that we presented to the legislation last year that we are continuing to work on. And it's those relationships that are helping foster that development in getting that enhanced eye care access bill passed in North Carolina. And what will that bill do? That bill will enhance eye care through North Carolina, especially in rural areas, allowing us to do things like lasers and lumps and bumps. Um, right now in some areas, we have doctors that have to send their patients for a YAG capsulotomy over 100 miles away. Or they may have to wait over a month to have that procedure done just because there's not the availability. And those are procedures mm -hmm. we're trained on that four other states in the U.S. can already perform. So that'd be a huge uh, win for us here if we could do that um, as we're already trained to do it. It's interesting. Earlier we were talking about negotiation and really, in a way, advocacy is not all that different. You're exactly right. There's a lot of research involved at the start. And, um, you know, was this within your comfort zone? It was. I like to build relationships with people and network. And that, I think, is the first step. You know, it's just 
it's not going right in going, we need to have this, we need to get this. It's learning about one another and building on that. And then from there, you help them understand what the need is and how we can achieve it together. That's really great. And um, so following the um, ascension in in the leadership uh, structure, you would be president next year or the year after? The year after 2020, I'll be the third female and youngest president in our state. So I've got some mighty big shoes to fill. And such a fitting number. (laughs) Yeah, I know. 2020, that was not planned. (laughs) Where do you see optometry going? That's a great question. I would like to see optometry continue to broaden its access in all 50 states where we can perform all the procedures that we are taught in school. I mean, the schools are all doing advanced procedures now, and we need to be able to do that in every single state. Um, We've got PAs and NPs that are doing this now in practices, but we're the ones here. We have the doctorate and the training, and I'd like to see us all do that. I'd like to see all patients have complete comprehensive eye exams every year. I think that's so important. And sometimes just the need to get that done is not there. Right. And what about engagement with ODs? Great uh, point. Engagement of ODs is tough. Uh, I try to talk to all of the young ODs and explain to them, why am I doing this? Here I am. I'm busy. I'm a mom. I've got two kids. Um, I'm involved a lot within my community but I find the importance of being a part of the state and helping to exceed our profession to the next level. And I want to explain that to young ODs. It's not just about, hey, you've got to go do this, this, and this. It's fostering those relationships so we have a profession in 10, 20, 30 years. Sometimes I find getting young ODs involved in just small tasks at first, like like being the treasurer of a local district. You go to a meeting once a month or every other month, not a lot of time commitment, but it gets you started in seeing what the what more you can do for our profession. And I imagine there's a a sense as you're in those kinds of roles where you look at the others around you and say, I can do this. It's exactly I've had ODs come up to me going, Okay, what can I do next? What more can I do? And that's like the best feeling in the world going, Okay. They, they get it. They want to be involved. And we are seeing more and more of that. Um, our state just had our state Congress meeting this past week, and we had 40 students and new licensed ODs at the meeting from different schools. And they're here, they're asking all these questions about advocacy. And I'm just blown away because I was on a panel of doctors and I'm going, you're asking about advocacy? I didn't know what that was when I was a first year in optometry school. And they're asking these questions now. It shows me the schools are educating them more on the importance of it as well to start to get involved now. I even had a second year ask me, how can I get involved with my local legislator? I'm from North Carolina. And I was going, okay, let's do this. So we've got a plan. They're going, he's going to have coffee with this local legislator and just get to know him as a, a normal person. That's so exciting to see that uh, flame catch, right? It really is. <laughs> Dr. Rubel, I can see why your nominators for Thea did nominate you. 
I'm sure you're inspiring and encouraging and so engaged yourself that it's uh, that it seems obvious. <laughs> Congratulations again on being the uh, Young Odethea Award winner. Thank you so much. It is. I feel so honored and blessed to have won that award uh, and to be a part of all of these female ODs that are out there achieving great things. I just hope I can continue my path and help the ones behind me. Thank you so much for having been here. I'm sure you're already doing that. So, <laughs> Well, thank you again. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WL Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at WL Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.